as you as you may have seen, Lawrence, today is a exceptionally chilly day. Indeed, there's a s- snowfall. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I didn't think we would be getting snowfall this year, nor indeed ever again. <laughs> so I'm happy to see it. Uh, I've I've seemingly had a, a terrible string of coincidences, though, in which every time my house runs out of heating, it happens to be one of the coldest days the year is willing to offer. And that just happens to be today. So, uh, for us and for everyone listening, I hope you're ready for the coolest episode of Factor Man Podcast yet. <laughs> Have you got any follow-up, Lords? Yes, I do have one piece of follow-up. Last week, during our news segment, I spoke about the CDPR piss-poor non-pology video that they released Mm. that week, in which I said the the project lead of Cyberpunk 2020, whatever the fuck, 1066, was the (laughs) one... uh, That he was the one to do the apology video. This is not true. It was, in fact, the... Co-founder and CEO Martin Iwinski, not the project lead. Fair enough. The project lead is Adam Badowski. And a coward. <laughs> yes. Uh, he is not blameless. He, uh, for instance, he was very critical of Jason Schreier's article about cyberpunk. He criticized the 20 sources that he cited oh, for this, being... Oh, this guy? Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's that guy. He was the guy that said... Well, your 20 sources are anonymous, so how reliable can they be? Clap, yada, yada, clap. Yada. <laughs> Concerning this is an industry where speaking up when you're not anonymous means that you get blackballed and your career in that industry is effectively over. This Absolutely. is a bad look. Lots of bad looks coming from this company lately. <laughs> Marcin Iwinski, not Martin Iwinski, Marcin Iwinski. Uh, you may recognize him as the guy from the before and after image macro for development on the various Witcher games. Where it shows you a photo of him during Witcher 1. He looks very normal. Witcher 2, pretty normal. Uh, got a bit of a beard. Post-Witcher 3, the man looks dead inside. <laughs> and if you've seen the apology video by now, you'll know that he seems to be walking dead at the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, I also should note that last week I said that the Polish authorities will be fining CDPR 10% of their net revenue of 2020. This is incorrect. They are finding them 10% of their gross revenue of 2020. Oh, Big my. difference. <laughs> Big fucking difference. Holy uh, shit. Because uh, sufficiently talented bean counters can twist the numbers in such a way so that your net profit is actually not very much for a given year, but you're still making lots of money. Uh, gross is the big one that comes before all that happens, so mm. it's substantially bigger. Very exciting. That's what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. People being held to task. I also heard somewhere that um one of the reasons why the Polish government has such a vested interest in seeing this come to fruition is that they personally invested money in the venture. Oh, uh, well. I mean, I guess that's, that's a given. The most, most industries at this scale get some funding from, you know, government ventures or... Or, you know, national ventures at the very least. So I guess that makes some sense. They usually don't sue <laughs> when it doesn't go right. No, citation needed. But uh, I believe it was for character AI development, which is very funny in hindsight. <laughs> 
So that's, maybe that's, that's why they're so angry. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> that's that's incredible. Uh, anything else for follow up? That's my follow up. Okay, uh, I've got one thing for follow up, and it is okay. uh, as I as I said on the previous episode, I would get back to you on your tenuous question. Uh, for those who don't remember, the tenuous question last week is how long or how far into a game must you be before you bust out the guides? Something worded along that round, <laughs> on those lines. Mm-hmm. And I give a sort of, I don't like them, nebulous answer. And uh, almost as predicted, the moment I hit editing and listened back to it, I was like, ugh, this is what happens when a man who's not very good at giving answers on the spot waffles. This is what happens when I go into interviews. <laughs> It's a viable skill. I'm just sharpening. I'm the whetstone against which you will be sharpened. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Every, every every experience is a is a profitable experience here at Vectorman. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to update uh, my answer a little bit now that I've had some time to think of it. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean I, I had an answer at editing that I have since read it over once and went, yeah, I'll do. <laughs> that's all that I could ever ask of you, Lee. <laughs> Uh, so the, I think the truth about it is that, and it's it's not exactly fair, but the truth is I consider guides tangentially related to cheating, and I've never liked cheating in games. Really? Yeah. Even in okay, I mean you've never taken out the old GTA San Andreas cheat code list hand drawn, of course, <laughs> uh, uh, scribbled on a piece of paper and went, yeah. let's give them all a try. That's never been your thing? Well, here's the th- my My answer to that is technically, yes, by proxy, because I never really had to do it myself. This was something that my brother Sheehan really loved to do as we were growing up. He mm-hmm. loved cheats. He would basically, he wouldn't play a game unless he could cheat it in some, in some way. And when he played a game with cheats on and just messed around and couldn't die or whatever, you know, you get to see the funny parts, but eventually I would just see it as kind of boring. And whether it be, I mean, the explanation here could be a grab bag of reasons, but at some point I started citing against cheats, maybe because when he played with cheats on, he didn't die, I didn't get a go, something like that. Or, Uh Or just simply sibling rivalry terms he liked cheats therefore i did not like cheats you You were philosophically inclined obligated even to align yourself on the opposite axis yeah yeah Uh, that's what Mm -hmm. i think happened uh so whatever whatever the exact mix was i I quickly grew distance from uh using cheats then as 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 time goes on once we had internet the cool kid thing to do after that point was just get a guide and have it mm-hmm. explain how to play the game. And so I just <laughs> assumed one stance and dragged it into the other. Mm-hmm. Guides were something that I didn't have as much experience with. I had one Pokemon Yellow guide. I can't really... I remember, like, I liked it for the pictures, but could never really use it, use it. Because, I don't know, I I, I assume I was too young to really read all that well. I must have mm-hmm. been six. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty good age to be playing Pokemon, I have to say. That's no, that's young. true. Yeah, I was I was in the sweet spot, absolutely. I think though, if we go back to the actual question of what point do you consider busting out the guys, I did inevitably think of a scenario. And it's not it's not about when in any game, it's about the type of game. And I like using guides for collectathons, is my answer. <laughs> I'll bust out oh, a yeah. guide for a collectathon any day of the week. Yeah, n- no shame whatsoever in, in something like that. Absolutely. Because it's like, you're wasting our fucking time here, guys. Come on. <laughs> Look, there are, 
There are serial psychopaths who have fine-tooth comb picked through every level, every corner, every crook, every cranny. On my behalf, I'm not going to deprive them of their good work by not using their guide. It would be spitting in their faces to not do it. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, This came in, obviously, really... uh, It it became sort of peak used uh, around the... The Crystal Lizards hunting days when, like, mm. for for example, Uncharted games. I, I genuinely love uh, doing the, the treasure hunt run. Uh, I, I never told you. Did I ever tell you about this? I first played... Uncharted was the first PS3 game I ever played, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, for the longest while, I didn't have a PlayStation account. Uh, okay, uh-huh. So uh, I got all... The, they had the in-game trophy menu that had all the trophies in it. So I got all the trophies in it. And then I got my account, and it did not synchronize the in-game trophies oh, with the no. PSN trophies. So, <laughs> I did it, it all, over, all again. over again. Oh, Jesus. What was your most fuck this collectathon? Because mm. for me, it was probably Prototype. Prototype was the one. Because uh, they had all these... It was an entire recreation of Manhattan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had like a whole bunch of like floating spheres... That, as far as I was able to ascertain, didn't really represent anything. They were just floating spheres that were put there for the purposes of you collecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there must have been, like, I want to say maybe, like, 180 of those things. Probably more. And even with the guide, it was such a pain in the fucking ass to get all of them. Like, I beat that game. I got most of the way through the trophies. I left it for, like, it feels like maybe, like, two-thirds of a year. And then I went, gotta do it. <laughs> gotta gotta finish what I started. So I went back and I did. And God, I was glad to be fucking done with that one. Mm. That was the one collectathon that I hit. I don't care for collectathons. Like, I feel like Assassin's Creed 3 was pretty bad too. That was another one. I think Assassin's Creed in general has kind of... It's kind of lifted the veil on the entire concept. It's kind of shown us too much of how what goes into this, which is very little, if anything at all. Uh, mm. And now... And now Anybody with any experience playing these kind of games has kind of soured onto the onto the entire concept just because of how overdone it's been in, in recent years. I think the reason why that one hurt the most is because by that the, by that point I hadn't learned the mental tools that you need. Like okay. uh, I saved, I see, I did all the other interesting game content, and then I did all the collectathon shit at the end. Uh-huh. Big mistake. Don't do that. Big mistake. Now I played four after that, and four. Mm. Actually, navigating the game world is quite relaxing and it's a breeze because you're going around in your pirate ship with yeah, yeah. sea shanties and the, the wind Not in your only hair is there and... a lot to do, but getting from A to B in that game feels a lot, a hell of a lot better than any of the other Assassin's Creed games. Mm-hmm. So you would get off your ship, jump into the sea, go to a wee island and find a treasure chest and give it a kick and you open it and you hey, you're a pirate treasure chest, makes uh, sense. After uh, that was Assassin's Creed Rogue. Uh, the game world for that felt a lot smaller than the other two, and it didn't have as much collectible and shit in it, so I had no trouble with it. And now that I'm playing Unity, I've learned my lesson, Lee. Mm. I learned the trick, which is, whenever you go into a new area, just do a quick run around the place, you know, spend a couple of hours just collecting some shit, maybe break it up with a, a different kind of side mission, or maybe a main mission, something like that. Yeah. So by the time you get to the end of the game, they, um... There should be a lot less chores for you to worry about before finishing up with it. Although this game, it knew the trick that I was going to do in order to in- enjoy it, and it didn't <laughs> like that. So I realized once I had got all the visible treasure chests on most of the map that there was actually like another. It feels like 
50 per area that were not visible immediately that you could only see upon. Yeah, see, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like Because they knew that if they were all visible from the very get-go, you would look at the mini-map and you'd go, fuck this, this sucks, I'm not playing this shit. (laughs) Yeah, but like, to spring it on at the end, that's insult to injury. Holy shit. Yeah. I don't know what the criteria was for them to reveal themselves on the map. What I did was I just went into the 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 Uplay bonus fucking microtransaction thingy and I used some of the free chits or free points that I had for uh-huh. buying the game and just used them to buy the stuff that I needed to get the trophy and nothing else. Arno points. Are they not Arno points? Yes, Arno points. That's it. <laughs> I used my Arno points to buy reveal all treasure chests on map. And um. I was like, man, I'm glad that I had already done, like, a third of the work. Because if I hadn't, and I saw this, I probably would have just fucking not bothered. I yeah, would have like, fuck this. I would have lived with the, the, the worm turning. I was going to say, that's a that's a hard grain for a worm to swallow. Mm. Uh, anyway, you were saying? Collectifons that stings extra hard from from this, these, these experiences is uh, Naruto... Uh, Oh, fuck yeah, you're telling me about this, Christ. Naruto Shippuden 2? Which uh, Ultimate, Ultimate Ninja, Ninja Storm? Storm 2? Yeah, that one. Yeah. I got every every trophy in that game, except one. And it's it's like a bronze. But the cl- to do it, you have to get something like 800 tags. And mm-hmm. the tags are, are either collected via random drops in the game, just by hoarding like pots in the game, in the in the story mode. Or by essentially becoming the greatest player of the game that has ever played, you have to you have to climb the ranked online ladder mm. and unlock every possible title that you can use for your online profile to get the final trophy. And I only really found this out after doing everything else, which already had taken a lifetime, and I just didn't really grasp the the scale of this one holdout. And then by the time I had done everything. To find out that it was just it surely like it must be it must be held by like five people in the world, five of the craziest best ultimate ninja storm players who also happen to be collectible addicts they don't have this in p s three but in p s four and i presume p s five they have this feature where if you go into the trophy menu, you can see the relative scarcity. Of yeah. each trophy, mm-hmm. you can see uh, how many. Well, it doesn't break it down specifically to how many people got it, but it gives you like a percentage of how many players who uh, I don't know. I presume played the game, got that trophy, and uh, I, I I do like that. It yeah. does it does mm-hmm. go a long way to reassuring me that. Let me rephrase that, <laughs> to leading me to believe that I didn't waste all my time by doing yeah, so. Yeah. There's 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 a very limited amount of bragging rights in in achieving these things. <laughs> it gives me the the warm fuzzy feeling of accomplishment as opposed to the business like and cold feeling of simply filling in a, a hole in my myself that comes with you know not doing it. Yeah, well, whatever. Not point not one percent of people own that fucking Naruto trophy. Uh, fair play, you geniuses. Also, God help you. How did you mm. manage it? It wasn't worth it. 
Cheating. Che- yeah, that's true. It could actually just be that. It could have been impossible. Anyway, that's uh, that's that's follow up, I guess. That's follow up, coupled with uh, an impromptu, tenuous question. Mm. Good stuff. Lawrence, what have you got up to this week? Two things for me this week. First of all, Game Dev Cubbyhole, or Dev Diary Cubbyhole, which is probably a better name, but whatever. Yeah, I if you want to compete against Yahtzee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Game Dev Cubbyhole. So, to give you an idea of where I'm at, just to give you a little bit of foundation, you already know the basics, the, the premise, and things like that. Let me tell you a little bit about the, the, the nitty-gritty, the details. This might get a little dry, but no, hey, that's, whatever. That's you're good. gonna be learning about these things if you if you do your if you're gonna be doing your video game. So I'm programming this in C sharp, which is a object oriented programming language. Yes. And I'm using objects in the uh, the development of this game. Now the actual game like not the programming structure object, but the actual in game three D model, a card. The way that's made is that uh, I've created a card template which has a certain dimensions in the game world, and I have cloned it 52 times, and then I assign it a texture based on a folder of textures that I have uh, handy that I acquired somewhere. I can't remember where it was a while ago. Mm. I'm reusing that asset from the Blackjack Simulator from way, way back. I mean, it is cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't have to actively reinvent the wheel. Now, typically, what I would do... uh, in something like this, if it wasn't a 3D rendered game, is I would create a class card and I would give it two attributes, uh, suit and value, and I would work from there. I would use that class to generate programmatically uh, objects, like 52 of them, and then give them a suit and a value depending on the, you know, on the the deck code. Mm. But since I'm using 3D objects which already exist in the 3D models, which exist in the game world, and their texture, or rather their suit and value, isn't being determined programmatically. It's being determined by the texture that's being assigned to them. Okay. So, for instance, I would uh, clone 52, and then those 52 would be assigned a texture based on the order that the textures are listed in the texture folder, which is alphabetical, so it would be... Two of clubs, then two of diamonds, then two of hearts, then two of spades, and then three, then four, then five, then six, etc. of those four. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work in complete order because, uh, for instance, aces would come after the numbers, yeah. and then it would be jack, then kings, <laughs> then queens, oh. which is which is not the order that they should come in. So what I had to do is I assigned them the textures to the cards, and then I would have to go through the index for each card, so this is card 0, card 1, card 2, and then I had to programmatically manually add their value and suit to them each, which is a roundabout way of doing it. It's kind of the tail wagging the dog, and it's probably not very efficient, but hey, it gets the job done. Now, what I was doing up until, I suppose, when I started this week's cycle, Mm. was I had each card stored in nested arrays, which an array is just a a variable that contains a whole bunch of other variables. So, uh, for instance, I would have an array that had 52 items in it, and each of those 52 items would have another array within it that contained the suit and the value. And I very quickly realized that having nested arrays is a fucking pain in the ass and it's complicated and it doesn't need to be that way. (laughs) So what I did was I 
did a little neat little trick, which is I just made the one array of the 52, and each item is just a string that has two characters in it. That is AC for Ace of Clubs, 6S for Six of Spades, uh, JD, Jack of Diamonds, 0C for 10 of Clubs. The uh, 0 is only ever used in the 10. That's true. So I could get away with that. It had to be two uh, characters. Two characters, so that yeah. When this the, is a good way to work it out. So uh, when the time came, all I needed to do was split it in two and then use one as the value and the other as the suit. It's good stuff. It's good thinking. Yes. It was very pleasing to me. I was like, yeah, yeah. It took something complicated and made it simple. Great. It's like... <laughs> At last, a dog that wags a tail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Code optimization isn't something that I know very much about. I mean, I I looked at some solutions on the internet as a reference. Didn't take anything, just as a learning reference. But you should have. <laughs> no, I should not have. That's what the internet's for, isn't it? Stealing ideas. Uh, for legal reasons, that is a joke. My <laughs> I feel like we're going to have a, have a moment of that in every single game dev. Come here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, most of their idea of optimization is code that is completely fucking unreadable. Like, I look at this and I go, I have no idea what I'm looking at, but they tell me that it does this and I'll take their word for it. Uh, my code needs to be readable both because I'm not advanced enough to make shit like that and also because presumably at some point people will be marking this so they need to understand what they're looking at as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing the last week is the card evaluator code. All that right. is to say, so far we can... The deck is assembled, it's shuffled, and I can deal cards to the game world. I can deal the two cards for the player and the, the, uh, the three cards for the flop. And what I've been doing is I've been looking at your hand, and I've been looking at the flop, and I've been making code that identifies if you have, for instance, a pair, three of a kind, a straight, straight flush, etc., etc. Mm. And it's mostly finished. I mean, so far I can identify... Let me get it up here one moment. So far I can identify high cards, which is easy because that's the lowest value ever. That's like the default. I can identify pairs. I can identify straights. Flushes, four of a kinds, straight flushes, and royal flushes. Full houses, three of a kinds, and two pairs are a little bit trickier. I'm still testing that. It mostly works, but I'm testing it. I recently found out a trick where um, you can modify variables mid-execution. So before it gets to the code that evaluates it, I can just go into it and go, hey, it's actually a royal flush, don't worry about it. <laughs> so... uh which means that I can actually test if it's a royal flush, because otherwise I would be sitting there executing it over and over and over again for, I don't know, weeks at a time, Mm. hoping to get a royal flush, and it'll never happen. Mm -hmm. So that should accelerate things a little bit, hopefully. That's that's a hell of a lot of work between this and the last episode. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Well, the last episode was me just bringing you up to speed with what I had done so far, so I was very broad strokes. Whereas uh, now that I'm getting into the nitty gritty, I can talk about deets. <laughs> Great. Now, what I'm going to be doing this week, amongst other things, but this is the first thing I'm going to be doing, is in addition to you know testing and making sure that the evaluator works, I'm going to be doing tie-breaking code. Because for the time being, what happens is it'll deduce, oh, you've got two per. Great. That I'm going to assign you a score of three and... Uh, if you get three of a kind, that's four. If you get a straight, that's five, etc., etc. Sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, if your opponent gets a three, it gets a two per, and you get a two per, you both get a three, but that doesn't tell you anything. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be trying to find a way to determine who's got the higher two per, who's got the highest trump card, as it were, Sure. and use that in tie-breaking sequences. 
that's what I'm going to be doing the next week. That's awesome. So tune in next week. Already, my favorite part of this is 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 just finding out relatively simple terms and and ideas that in our real world seem simple to map out and explain that in terms of game design are absolute challenge nightmares. <laughs> labyrinth of code required to explain cards to a machine that's pretty great mm-hmm. yeah taking things that you and i intuitively understand and putting in them in terms that a machine can understand is it's the job it's the job it's mm. why you get the money as i've always believed um the best games that will be fun to play and that in consideration i would enjoy making at some point down the line would be ones based on sort of very rudimentary, simple-to-learn childhood games like hide-and-seek and and so on. Uh, Mm. And I'm now realizing that while it might be cool to get those to work, they are going to be absolute nightmares to work out over, I don't know, taking accepted and generally easier to understand game templates that have already been done so many times that the code essentially exists out there for you like RPG mm. formats, etc. I haven't even gotten to the AI bit, and that's the bit where I'm really going to be pulling my collar and going, ooh. <laughs> oh, but very exciting. That's Game Dev Cubbyhole. <laughs> Insert the guitar lick that I've just mm. written. Game Dev Cubbyhole. Yeah, see now you now you're giving yourself work. That was you that time, not me. That's right. I feel we I feel it needs to, we need to sex it up for the listeners who are just the casual listeners who are just here for video game talk. <laughs> I, I I assume that I envision that as a kind of Bill and Ted guitar lick. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> So, the other thing I did this week, because I made, I was able to convince myself and or trick myself into believing that I was making good progress on the project so that I could actually do something else. Mm. I watched a movie. Ooh. Uh, the Secret of Kells. You've heard of this, no doubt. Yeah, this, uh, it's an Irish animated film, isn't it? It is indeed. It's an Irish, French, Belgian collaboration. What they've did is that the the aesthetic for this movie is they have deliberately attempted to emulate the aesthetic of medieval illuminated manuscripts. Cool. Primarily the Book of Kells, which uh. is uh, for those of uh, for those of you outside of Ireland who are listening, uh, is a national treasure and artifact of medieval Irish culture I Christ- suppose. christianity it's yes. christianity related isn't it it's like it's it's it like is, an irish yes, it's, bible it's, like, it's a gospel yeah it is a, it's a it's an illustrated gospel that's it that's it yeah if any and by the way if anybody's thinking of writing like a heist movie in ireland the book of kells is a solid one to, to center it around <laughs> oh i i'm afraid not because the book is like not even a book anymore it's like a series of like leaves leaflets that have been like <laughs> It's like the book binding was stolen like fucking centuries ago. And that's something that is illustrated in this movie that happens in this movie. All right. Uh, How did you find The Secret of Kells? And why did you watch it? (laughs) I liked it quite a bit. Good. You say, why did I watch it? It had been on my to-do list for some time now. In fact, it had been sitting on my shelf for almost two years, more than two years. <laughs> I've owned it for more than two years. And I'm only now watching it. I was a little hesitant going in because, you know, when a big animated 
something or other comes out of Ireland or Northern Ireland or just any kind of film, there is a certain, I'm just going to steal a phrase completely from Hello Internet here, there is a certain cheer pressure. <laughs> cheer pressure? Oh, yes. That's a, that's a great phrase. I never heard him say that. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a kind of, no, no, they're, you're representing the home team here. Yeah. You gotta... <laughs> Bring your nationalism to the fray here. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get a lot, so uh, when we put something out, you better like it, right? You gotta you gotta wrap it. But no, I was quite relieved that this movie is good enough that I didn't have to worry about that. That's good. That's a relief. So, the premise. Story is, it's about a, a young monk in medieval Ireland. Uh, I want to say maybe, like, I don't know, 10 years old. He's called Brendan. He lives in Kells, which is like a, an abbey. They're building a massive wall around the abbey because they're worried about Viking incursions. Mm, as you would. He, as understandably, <laughs> his uh, his uncle is the abbot, and he is the one overseeing the constructions of the walls. There is a scriptorium within the abbey with a whole bunch of monks inside it from all across the world, who are working on their illuminations, which just means their illustrations for various religious texts. One day, a man called Brother Aiden comes to the to the abbacy. The monastery, whatever it is, you're finding you're finding all the many ways to say abbey. <laughs> mm-hmm. The abbey, he uh, he comes comes to the abbey after his abbey Iona is overrun by Vikings, and he brings with him the Book of Iona, which is an incomplete gospel, which is in the middle of being illuminated. But uh, with him, the Vikings are coming to Ireland as well, and they're following him. They're coming to Ireland, and uh, they're probably going to hit Kells at some point as well, so he would like to have the book finished. But uh, the abbot is like, no, we need to finish the walls. We need to concentrate on the walls in order to protect us from the Vikings. Oh, and there's a bit of a there's a bit of conflict between finishing quite, the quite book. Quite a dilemma. Do we protect ourselves, or do we protect future generations? Fair, yeah. He- yeah, that's it. It's like, do we per- do we protect this culture and history, which we will be passing down in the future generations, or do we worry about protecting ourselves so that we may then, you know, protect the culture? Mm-hmm. Yada yada. That's that's the quite, conflict. Quite the conflict, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is a family children's adventure movie, so that's all subtext. the The context is, Brother Rayton's really cool. And he's teaching me to do illuminations, and that's really neat. Mm. And the movie's really well animated and illustrated. It's very pretty. And it's got the... You better believe they've got the trad music. They've brought the reggae. Oh, yeah. I mean, how would I feel encouraged nationalistically to try and get this film its uh, best animation Oscar if uh, if I wasn't invigorated with the power of Fiddly D? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Brother Raiden, he's like, Ooh, Brendan... My, I'm too old. My eyes are fading. And my, my grip is no longer steady. I cannot finish the book. I'm going to train you in illumination so that you may finish the book. And he's like, me, huh? <laughs> so let me talk about the things that I liked and discuss interesting things that I thought about it. First of all, the movie's the movie's gorgeous. It's really, really nice. Oh, it helps. I, I, I mentioned how uh, they went out of their way to take medieval manuscript influences. Whenever they were making this movie, but they they for different scenes and different parts of the movie, they use different styles, and you can distinctly tell that they're different. Like, uh, as in, you, certain times you can tell these are different uh, cartoon companies making the same film. <laughs> I think it was the same cartoon company the entire time. It's just that uh, they used different influences. Like they went. Oh, well, for inside the Abbey, everything is very. There's no perspective. It's very two D, like layers of two D. 
Uh, and then whenever he, they, he gets outside to the forest, like, the art style shifts. So now everything's a lot more Arcadian and there's lots of Celtic crosses and swirls and uh, things like that. Cool. And then uh, at the very end of the movie, they actually, they're, they're very circumspect about showing you the Book of Kells itself. They don't do it until the very end of the movie. And then when they actually do open it and look at the illustrations, it becomes, like, pornographic. It's like... <laughs> They, like, like they very visibly go, all right, here's the A-game, here's the money shot, mm. put all the money into the animated book of Kells, and they do, and you're like, ooh, that's very neat. I've actually been, I've actually been to seeing the book of Kells, it's in Trinity College. That's right, I've, I've seen it as well. I've seen the two pages that they allow the peanut gallery to see at a time, which is a manuscript and an illustration, and occasionally they cycle a new one in, and uh, it's neat. They don't. You can't really appreciate how cool it is because you would need a magnifying glass and be able to get really up close to it. They appreciate all the details, mm. but you're not allowed to do. <laughs> and even if you could do it, you you wouldn't be able to anyway because there's so many fucking people there. Oh yeah, no, it's a it's a mess. Fun fact: the uh, also at Trinity College is a statue of allegedly my great 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 uncle Oliver Goldsmith. Cool. That's a uh, you 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 can you can go there and you can point at him and you go yeah. There he is. Legacy. <laughs> he made one good poem that I read, and he was staunchly Christian. <laughs> Speaking of staunchly Christian, this movie, I feel like its representation of Christianity is very interesting in that it doesn't really do it. <laughs> That's, that is interesting. <laughs> All the characters are monks, or mm. uh, brothers, or abbots, or whatnot, and the whole movie is about finishing a illumination of a, a manuscript of a gospel, but uh, the whole, and obviously all these characters' thoughts and actions are informed by their religion and all that. Evidently, the people making this movie knew that they didn't want it to be a Christian movie. They didn't want it to be like, oh, God, Jesus, yada, yada, yeah, yada, yeah. and all that. They just want, they wanted it to be focused on the history and the culture. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So... Yeah, it is cool. Well, I mean, it makes it a lot less annoying for me to watch, that's for sure. But uh, it also results in this very strange situation where he goes outside the abbey and he meets all these supernatural forces outside in the forest, forest spirits and whatnot, you know, pagan things. And uh, one of the antagonists he meets out there is Krom Kruk, who is a, a pagan god. You begin to think to yourself, hmm, all the pagan supernatural forces are present and visible and can tangibly affect the world about them but none of the christian stuff is it's just treated <laughs> as you know it's just the religion uh, so you're like huh that, that's that's strange that uh that that's happening that's kind of there's weird connotations and suggestions mm. there but uh hey don't think about it don't worry about it hey irish folklore cool ain't it i guess i guess the the book of kells was still quite recent at that time at, at landing in ireland we start to mm-hmm. we start to use its uh, secrets to uh, burn mm-hmm. away all the pagan iconography. I, I'm not entirely sure what the secret in question is. I guess the fact that he enlists pagan supernatural forces from mm. the forest in order to help him get the materials in order to make the book is that the secret? Maybe that's the secret. That seems like the kind of thing that would make a stir if it got out. I suppose. <laughs> One thing I do quite like about it is, like, I like a family movie that doesn't fuck around when shit hits the fan. Mm. Like, uh, whenever the Vikings are shown in this movie, they're literally demonized. Like, they're not even people. They're just, like, big, shadowy brutes with horns. 
that speak in a, in a black tongue that none of the characters <laughs> understand, other than when they say, gold, give me gold, because that's all they're interested in. Mm. Perhaps culturally insensitive, perhaps, but they went on record as to say that they were trying to see them through the lens of the people that they were currently raping and pillaging, so I think that's fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I mean, geez, it's not like we can get uh, fucking outraged about it. Basically, all of us here are descendants of those monsters. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. No, uh, I think that the director is a guy called Tom Moore, uh-huh. and he directed the the three the the, the folklore trilogy, I suppose. And uh, in the director's commentary, which I watched after watching the movie, he said uh, he had a Swedish friend. And he said, uh, "Please forgive me for <laughs> the depiction of your ancestors." And the Swedish guy was like, "Yeah, it's cool." And you know, I'm I'm going I'm going to choose to believe that that man represented all of oh, Scandinavia. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to assume that Scandinavia is pretty down with it. Tom, Tom Moore uh, personally asked Sweden, and Sweden said, "Don't worry about it. It's cool." In addition to the medieval art influences, I also got a real Samurai Jack vibe. I was like, "Ooh, this is this is really really evocative of Samurai Jack." And that's a little Gennady Tartakovsky, I should say. He's the director behind Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. His influence is very clear in this movie. I wondered if Tom Moore was influenced him by any way, and I was watching the director's commentary, and Samurai Jack is name-dropped in the director's commentary, nice. which felt, you must understand, Lee, very validating. <laughs> That's very good, yes, absolutely. I was nodding with approval, going, hmm, this Tom Moore has very good taste, I have to say, very good. <laughs> Particularly the, the, the fight scenes when the Vikings turn up, uh, those are uh, very Samurai Jack, because there's, there's like an episode of Samurai Jack where it's just in the snow, whole bunch of vikings and arrows flying around Mm. and that's an action sequence later in this movie where it's set in the winter there are vikings they're stylized there's arrows flying around i'm going this is fucking samurai jack and that's great because samurai jack is fucking incredible that's awesome lots of really good visual storytelling in this like they did their homework it's this is a good movie lee this is a real nice movie i can't wait to i intend to watch song of the sea and maybe what is it, Wolfwalkers? Apparently Song of the Sea is set in the same continuity and it's in the 80s, so that'd be neat. Maybe we'll see an animated IRA. That'll I've, be interesting. I've, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's Secret of Kells. Good movie. Recommend. Great. Uh, I, felt, I felt very culturally enriched after I had seen it. Yeah, yeah. How was your week, Lee? My week was pretty good. I guess there's a theme to my week, actually. Ooh, I, only real- I only realized this after writing uh, down my thoughts on, on two games this week. The theme is being impressed in context. Fascinating theme. That's that's what's connecting these two, I should say. And uh, of the two, the first one that I'm going to talk about is a game that we sort of... We did cover in the news section once and said, ooh, it looks cool. And I did eventually get around to playing it, true to my word at the time, that said, "Ah, that looks cool, I'll play it. That game was Raji. I thought it would be this one. Because I was like, what's the one thing that we politely said looks interesting, we should play it sometime, and then non-committally. I was thinking to myself, I'm probably not going to play that, but might as well. It looks nice, let's say it. <laughs> yeah, no, to be fair, at the time I didn't exactly think, yes, I mean, I, I for sure am going to play that. It was just a sort no, of I... wish into the ether. Hey, if the opportunity yeah. comes up, I'm sure that looks cool enough to waste some time with. That was very much me just saying... That's a game that looks good and deserves to be played because it's made by a small indie team and it's about an interesting subject matter. 
I might get around to it at some point. Yeah, yeah. And that's all. That's all I'm committing to. Hey, if it's really well received, then who knows? Sky's the limit. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it almost won or did win a game award. I should look it up. There's there's one for like groundswell for indie debut game or something like that. Uh, and I believe it got a nomination. Uh, yes, it did. And uh, it lost to Phasmophobia, which, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> hmm. Phasmophobia is not even fucking finished yet. But it is a debut game. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, anyway, what I mean by uh, being impressed in context, uh, you know, it's like it's like play, you know, when you play a game on an older console and you're just amazed to see it runs in color, has more than three characters on screen at one time, or mm-hmm. playing a game you're friend made you know that you'll, you'll always be a little more flattering not just to preserve mm-hmm. their feelings but because deep down you you believe they just didn't have it in them <laughs> but they did have it in them didn't yeah they? yeah they, and that's when they show you that's when they show you up and say look at that look at us uh in this case i, I mean for raji to come out the gate swinging in this lofty massive and ambition historically seeped hat to the forebears tipping debut title from a company that just barely managed to get the funding it was trying to get to make it uh, and and for it to be nearly as good as it is and to look absolutely gorgeous the entire time is uh you know an absolute feat that you know in in context overshadows the somewhat present fact that it doesn't play nearly as well as games that are quite a bit older than it Mm, well i mean can't be helped these things Exactly. I mean, you got to you got to set your expectations. Well, here's my question for you, Lee. When we discussed it briefly when the announcement came out, uh, we did so on the basis that this is an underrepresented culture that we don't know very much about That's because right. most of our knowledge of this kind of culture and mythology comes from playing media related to it. <laughs> Absolutely. So let let me ask you this: Did you learn something? I about- I learned some things. Yes, about Hindu Hindu uh, is is Hindu a religion? I'm not even sure it is. It's more like a like a code, right? No, Hind- Hinduism is a religion. Is it? It is. Now let's see. I, I've got I've got the Wikipedia page up here. So let's see. Hinduism is an Indian religion and Dharma or way of life. It is the world's third largest religion. Oh, I mean, I guess the answer's there, isn't it? <laughs> it is a religion. Yes. If it's got a pantheon, it's a religion. That that that's you know. No, that's, that's fair. One yeah. Well, then yes, it's a. It's it's certainly got a pantheon. Uh, it's got a fucking huge pantheon. Boy, from what I understand. And boy, does Raji try. If if there's one thing I took the most strong from uh, Raji is that the 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 pantheon of gods in Hinduism is just so unwieldy vast that the the game had to stop for five ten minutes at a time and just have you accept these information dumps where they just summarize the uh, the story of some of a handful of the gods related to the gods we were interacting with during the game yeah they've got like 50 50 of the fucking things and half of them are shiva yeah well, that's it if you we talk about shiva for a while so then we've got to talk about the fucking 15 different people that shiva technically is same goes for uh what's our what's our boy vishnu vishnu yes good good call those are the only two i can recall the name of so don't ask me anymore <laughs> i got nothing vishnu had i believe 12 they're like avatars i hope i hope when you were playing this game that uh you knew that you were going to be quizzed at the end of it about what you've learned (laughs) i i was aware that yes if i ever brought it up people would ask me did i gain something from it and i could say i i genuinely got the vibe 
but the result, mm-hmm. it throws a lot at you. You have absorbed, hopefully, at least 10% via osmosis. And yeah. If you, if you play enough or watch enough movies or listen to an album or something that is also of this mythology and culture, you will hopefully absorb another 20%. And accumulatively, you might actually know something worth a damn in... Yeah. God knows how much time. That's it, exactly. You know, I learned that the Naga, the snake thing, he's like a guardian of, <laughs> I'm going to say Shiva's temple. Yeah, so that that might be something. I, I learned that one of the uh, gods that I thought I knew, uh, Ganesh, is actually just one of one of a part of Vishnu. So mm-hmm. That's always a good guess. Is this a different god? Or is it just an avatar of Shiva or Vishnu? Just flip a coin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, but I mean, being steeped in all of that made for a very compelling uh, atmosphere, as we had predicted. So, I mean, that worked out. Whether I actively got educated on, on anything from these sort of Cliff Notes versions of the stories that these gods are involved in, I'm not entirely sure I could say I could go that far. But it made for good... Um, Made for good atmosphere, if anything else. And I did actively listen to every bit of dialogue that the game threw at me. So, I mean, that's something. <laughs> Is it a... It's a platformer, isn't it? It's a 3D platformer. It's a character action game. Is that the term these days? It's the one that uh, I use and the one that you've slowly over time begrudgingly learned to accept. Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Why, what's the other one? What What are we also, What are we calling it these days? What's the other one? Historically speaking, the one that you've always preferred, as I understand it, was Spectacle Fighter. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm giving it... Yeah, I'll, I, I agree that character action is now sticking out in my head. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's that genre. It's that genre of go on to platforming segments now and then, and then back into little, little areas where you get walled off, Devil May Cry style to... To beat everything before moving on uh so yeah no i mean i guess in terms of the actual structure of the game it's very much like devil may cry <laughs> except with all the gameplay removed i suppose mm-hmm. I, there's there's loads and loads i liked about raji but I, I i feel like it has to be framed within the context of like it's impressive in the context of it being a short beautiful blast of an indie game that definitely feels like it's going to be hard to recommend to anybody who just wants to play like a game and it be a good game it uh Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely interesting if you're interested in game design and or indie companies you know stepping into the shoes uh with their own cultures and ideas of of the big boys and showing them what they can do with next to none of the resources uh, and apparently they could do a damn near enough assembly of what we expect from games like Devil May Cry. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, I've just looked it up and apparently the developer needed to sell their house in order to help finance the See, game. yeah. <laughs> so this is, a, this is real starving artist indie stuff. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, they had a Kickstarter that didn't go through. Uh, and I believe they got a lot of funding from, you know, the usual av- avenues your your mm-hmm. local governments uh but you know to to make up the rest actual living assets had to be gambled so on the back of that i'd also say raji you know for whatever it is it is an interesting game that you'll never see anywhere else in terms of its culture 
at this point in time, I'd recommend if you're looking for that kind of thing for three hours or so, that's the way to go. Give money to a team that could use it to buy their house back. That's right, listener. If the extent of your exposure to this culture is Nathan Drake traipsing all over it while he shoots a bunch of pirates or something, then uh, this is the game for you if you want to learn more about it. <laughs> the, the the biggest problem with it is is that the combat, while initially impressive, uh, kind of ends up becoming a slog very quickly. Mm-hmm. The fluidity of the motion feels great from the moment you start playing it uh and then when you actually start fighting enemies on mass your hitbox is kind of ridiculous and your dodge roll is ridiculously lame so you end up taking a lot of chip damage just moving around until you get the third of four weapons which isn't honestly that long into the game it, it just kind of feels like you're banging your head against a wall a little bit mm-hmm. but i mean nobody expected Dark Souls-esque dodge rolling in in this game. So, I mean, it was cool that they tried and did pull it off to some degree. Uh, what I really, really liked about it was um, <clears throat> its weird <laughs> epic-esque story. It's the actual game, the actual title of the game is called Raji, an ancient epic. And it does premeditate the fact that the, the story of the game is told in a traditional sort of Greek epic style, or I guess... Mm-hmm. In any culture, it's that sort of old-fashioned telling of a story that, that starts one way and, and then somebody says, and then, and then, you know, and then they just keep adding more information. Oh, so there's like a, there's a kind of Shahazarad, a omnipotent narrator talking through the whole thing? Yes, there are in fact two. We have Vishnu and Durva who chew your oh, ear, well, those, ear off throughout. Those would be the two. <laughs> Uh, Fish new, in particular, voiced like um, somebody was trying to create ASMR for uh, for mythological literature professors. He speaks real close and deep, very languidly about all the other gods, and it's kind of it is it's very, it makes for a very chill atmosphere. But it's also sometimes you're just like, all right, speed it up, man. Let's let's get on with this. They do ask. They do ask a lot of nagging questions about Raji. He's like, I don't think she can do it. I think she can. Okay. <laughs> that basically summarizes like ten of the conversations they have. Oh, sorry, my mistake. It's uh, Shahrazade. I mispronounced it. My mistake. Preemptive follow-up. <laughs> to be fair, the story uh, it just keeps it goes on a wild adventure. Just doesn't really seem interested in like building an arc or anything it's really much it's really one destination one story keep it mm-hmm. going uh, i really liked that i thought it was really good for the 3r experience and it felt very uh traditional in that sense how long is it yeah it's only three hours long oh it's pretty digestible pretty bite-sized yeah. i'm looking at a gameplay trailer for right now and the uh, the point of reference that I'm that strikes me the most is probably Bastion. Looks very Bastiony. Yeah, yeah, that seems fair. I, or I, I I suppose Hades would be the the topical example to go mm. to. I suppose. No, yeah, I I think that's that's more than fair. It uh it definitely has that. It has a bit more jumping than Bastion. I think that's the only only difference. Yeah, the other yeah the thing I liked about the the story as well is it the game has a very ambiguous ending. A lot of people were kind of put off by it. I think it's perfect. Mm. I think it's really good. It's just so weird. Well, I, I do like that. I like hearing the weird. The ending is kind of weird and dissatisfying. <laughs> I do like the sound Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Uh, uh, for three hours. To be honest, I, I always i I don't mind games 
throwing a bunch of ideas at me and, and not truly making them more than... Sh- like, there's a skill tree system in this game, and it's very shallow. And I'm okay with that, because the game is painstakingly short. You know, and there's about four long stages, uh, and each stage gives you a whole new weapon, so basically by the time of, at the end of it, you get the fourth weapon... Not only are is each weapon progressively scaling, so you'll never need to use the first or second weapon the moment you get the third weapon, which works with the epic theme, but the fourth weapon is so ungodly useful that they basically only hand it to you right before you <laughs> enter the, the last boss, and then they go, hey, okay, here you go, you need this to be the boss. And I like that. I like that scrappiness. I like the fact that it threw in a skill tree and then was like, you don't really actually need to, to use it, though. You don't really need to get good at it. You don't really need to do anything. Just enjoy yourself. Enjoy being here. It's a short game. Join us, won't you? Uh, that was all good. I felt it kind of all pointed in the same direction. The other thing I really, really liked, uh, this this goes without saying, it is a absolutely stunning-looking game. Mm, I did notice that. the uh, It looks very good for the budget that was put into it. Absolutely. You can tell this is where they really put they really put the work in. Not only does everything look great, and then it's only every couple of minutes that you are stopped and pulled to look at something that's equally fascinating, like a like a statue of a god and with accompanying backstory, or a whole vista that you are then to climb up. Uh, you know, it, it it does this quite a lot, and it it does make it feel very impressive. Uh, also, the story elements of the game are told with shadow puppets. In a shadow puppet style, and this stuff, oh yeah, and they've taken care to make sure that everything that they animate could be actively done by trained shadow puppet workers. Uh, that stuff, mm-hmm. I loved. It was very, very absorbing to watch this story unfold in shadow puppet form. I don't know what to tell you. It's really good. <laughs> I just think it's neat. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> exactly. I think like that just sums up the like the the the, the twenty minute summary of Book of Secret of Kells that I just did is just, I I just think it's <laughs> yeah. neat it's neat that's uh that's that's pretty much going to be everything we talk about this week uh, mm. the next game also is is going to be very much I just think it's neat uh, but anyway that's 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 about it for Raji if you're interested in like seeing indie teams do cool new shit that will eventually get swallowed up by a massive conglomerate and taken the piss of uh you know it's good good to be on the ground floor to see where all the all the cool work was being done if you're if you're on that sort of if you would like to see what culture looks like before it's appropriated (laughs) by capitalism get in there quick The other game I'm going to talk about this week was the original Final Fantasy. Ah. As promised, I said this year would be a year where I I, I do a lot more work work on the grounds of JRPGs. Very much a sore spot in my gaming knowledge and and, uh, exposure. In what can only be explained as transferable brain worms disease type decision, I, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I, I decided to go right back to the start. Uh, well, of the of the big dog and try out Final Fantasy, a series which I've never actively played a game in longer than a couple of hours. Yeah, truth be told, uh, I don't think I've completed one at all myself. I think I got three quarters of the way through ten. That's as close as I That's got. Pretty good. Ten was good. I like ten. I should finish that game. It was a good game. Anyway, the reason why I thought this would work out. <laughs> 
if that doesn't send an ominous tone of why I, how it did work out uh mm. is because i i played and beat as i've said on the show a couple of times the original dragon quest and i had a great time with that and final fantasy the original came out not long after the original dragon quest you know it just it just feels like i've done one now the next and uh cards on table i definitely i'm not i've abandoned final fantasy (laughs) i warned you yeah as you as as you warned me that's right (laughs) this uh this definitely became a uh an exercise in video game genealogy uh in the in the same vein as uh the original persona see what you need is more brain worms (laughs) that's yeah that's that's my problem not enough brain worms you got the halfway house where you got the brainworms that dictated to you that you must start at the beginning, but not the ones that compel you to finish. See, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, w- what you should do is you should play all of them, gritting your teeth the entire time over the course of, I don't know, four, five years. Mm. And then at the end, exhausted, you stumble across the finishing line so that you can look at the other person, the person next to you and go, I did this so that you didn't have to. <laughs> Yeah, well, in my life, I'm still Lawrence adjacent, so you know, I I just wait for you to do these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, now you've put you've put the terrible thought in my head. Now of which one of us is the Jason? <laughs> you mean this hasn't been in your head for the entire life of the no. show? <laughs> no, I just simply went. I'm the Grey and you're the Brady, fittingly enough, and then just went, there you go. So, yeah, that's, that's, a the, very, that's a very flattering interpretation of how podcast duos work. Uh-huh. <laughs> Th- that to me was, there you go, that'll, that'll do the trick. I choose not to view it for any of our lens. Then it's best, it's best not to ask these questions. Now that I think about it, it would be very strange for you to be <laughs> the, the Jason. Jason, considering <laughs> you're the Lee also. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe I'm just the Jason by default. It's hard to say. I feel like because this podcast is in an actual field I understand a lot better than film, and I also being the older of us two, it feels like I naturally assumed Jason Hood. Uh, also, be like Jason being more versed in podcast making from the beginning, like he was for before Atlantic Screen Connection, I immediately in my head say, like, it's weird being the Jason of the podcast. But as time goes so on, get, the, I, the, the water gets muddier, you know? I get to be the Lee, then. <laughs> and you get to be the Jason. Yeah, the, the fresh face ingenue that everyone relates to and enjoys. I hope that Jason does not listen to this. <laughs> If he does, I'm sure he'll take it with great humor as usual. Mm-hmm. Rogue One is shit. <laughs> well, I said that to him too, to be fair. He didn't say it hard enough. I couldn't say it hard enough. He'd eat me alive. Anyway, uh, FF1, tell us about anyway, it. Anyway, yeah, if I were, um, when, I, when I was a kid playing Pokemon Yellow, if I had, um, if I had gotten my somehow gotten my hands on Final Fantasy at that time, I would be confirmed mega weed by now. I, mm. I would have gone down the exact opposite path of gaming choices. I would have f- favored the uh, the slow burn RPGs over the action packed mascot platformers that I did choose. Mm-hmm. You would be glancing across your room, and instead of Sonic the Hedgehog figurines and posters, it would be lightning from <laughs> FF13. <13. laughs> I think Final Fantasy is just such a remarkably deep fascinating game for its time asterisk 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 that Mm. that um it's hard to it's hard to debate why it deserves all the crazy people it has got over these years it just offered so much 
too much. Far too much. This game is like stupid, like packed full of stuff for its day. It's essentially a pocket D and D campaign, which is amazing. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's actually. I checked a little bit into the development, and it seemed that this was exactly what they were going for. They very much modeled and took mechanics from whatever version of Dungeons and Dragons was out at the day, and they tried to make it into a, a narrative scenario and game that you could play without having to get overly bogged down on rules. So they basically just mm-hmm. streamlined a campaign experience. But I mean, they uh, they did a choice that I that right out the gate that I thought was so interesting that I, I wonder why not a lot of games have done it since. Um, it gives you your party members right at the beginning. You get four and you can choose their classes of out of six right from the game. And that's your lot. You don't change it at any point. You don't get new party members. That's the game. That's great idea like i like that is how like D games are typically played is that you have friends with their character classes already worked out and you band together and you go on one big scenario together from the start you don't pick up new guys along the way all the time i actually really like that idea i actually i find a lot of games force party mechanics in where they don't need to be and it kind of overcomplicates what is a very simple formula well i mean if you're speaking about it in terms of gameplay i suppose but after all, RPGs are known for their story, and the introduction of future party members later on in the story is a little bit... I'm saying you might be in the minority in that opinion, considerably, because just getting, you get your four party members at the beginning of the game, uh-huh. and them's the breaks. That sounds quite dull from a game design standpoint, I have to say. Uh, I, I agree that they don't gain a lot in terms of personality in, in this outing, but I, I think it's a concept that's not worth throwing out just because party mechanics did a much better job of it very quickly after this game uh, of getting narrative and uh, and and uh, RPG mechanics to meld together in an, in an interesting and engaging way. I, I, I agree it's a, it's it's not a flawed concept. I'm just saying why why not have both some sometimes? I guess it works well if the 40 party members are personalityless and are effectively just functions, which is essentially what they are in this case. yeah. Another thing I liked about this Final Fantasy game, which I didn't expect this early in the series, is an actual plot. Here's something that Dragon Quest really didn't have. Dragon Quest is like, yeah, there's a dragon somewhere, you know? He's ruining the land. If you could work your way there, hero, and beat him up, you win the game. Wow, your bar is really low, I have to say. I mean, I guess that's the... uh... That's the benefit of the brainworms approach is that you start at the bottom and it's it's all uphill from there. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. It can o- things can only get better. Yeah, that, with the brainworm approach. I don't always need story in a game. <laughs> I suppose. Well, in an RPG, you need to have a story. Yes, I, obviously, I agree, and for the most part. But I think Dragon Quest is such a short, action-packed kind of game that it gets away with it. I I don't think you could pull that same trick off with Final Fantasy. To be fair, anyway, I didn't expect Final Fantasy one to have a story, let alone be surprisingly good. the The template's very simple. Obviously, it's it's you are four chosen dudes. There's there's mm-hmm. an evil to beat and a prophecy, etc. Very much that standard hero's call story kind of thing. Mm. Uh, I, I was looking at the um, at the synopsis in Wikipedia, and yes, it very much seems to be the kind of generic boilerplate story that Bravely Default was riffing off of. Mm. 
I think what what ended up working though, and what surprised me was that the world was so rich. Every 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 town and every kingdom has its own style, its own character, a lot of its own races that have their own sort of beliefs and wants and fears, and then uh, and allegiances, and then and, and then when as you play through it, the world actively shifts, not just in terms of what the characters say as you do cool things and the characters start to realize, oh, you actually might be the heroes that uh, of the prophecy. But also, like, physically, the landscape of the world changes at points to help to open itself up to you. Like, you, you're blowing up land masses so your boat can work its way outside into, into other islands. That shit's mm-hmm. fucking cool. And also people start commenting on these these kind of bigger scale things like i seen somebody blew a hole in a fraction of the co- country the other day. Well, you wouldn't have to know anything about it, would you? <laughs> that stuff, I was like, I'm, again, impressed in context. Like, this is very early days for the world to be giving a shit about going on this adventure. So a, a lot of that stuff kind of worked. Also, I was, very impressive is that the world itself is massive stupidly massive like much much too big at the end of it there's really only four main points of the game that you have to be in to win but you kind of go back and forth across the uh, across the world on on quests so often that you you really this is one of those games you need a guide you know Mm -hmm. there's uh one of those games where they probably packed one in when you when you got the game did you consult the guide I, i did uh, you're breaking the habit. That's, That's good. Yeah, I had. I. I. It's. It's one of those like, tacit acknowledgments. Like I could work extra hard to memorize these blank squares for the shapes that they are, and hope to God that that sticks. Or I could just pick a point and figure it out on the guide. And I mean, kids at the time probably did it too. It's. I'm hardly breaking the rules hmm. in my brain. <laughs> All said, though, I, I played for about 10 hours, and I definitely got my fill. I, I, I finished one of the four big quests, which means I beat about three or four bosses and did about two or three dungeons. And uh, and I got to interact with the world in a couple of different ways, and that was all really cool. I would have continued to be super cool if the combat weren't just so exhausting. Oh, yeah, the random encounters, yeah. That was the um that was the sticking point for me too regarding the series. When I when I played ten, mm. I liked ten quite a lot. I liked the characters, I liked the, the gameplay, I liked the story. Uh but God the random encounters. It's just <laughs> it's like getting slapped in the face after taking every ten steps. Like it's the worst I hate it. It's really jarring. <laughs> How do you mean? Like, I, I'm sure the I'm sure the the feel for the first one is different from the ten one for obvious reasons. But uh, you know, I I would play ten, and you would you would be in an area, and you would see some friendly NPCs at the the other end of a long hallway, <laughs> and you would walk towards them, and like peaceful music is playing, and like there's like beautiful environments, and then you would just hit the the glass smash noise, like that. I'm like, I just. I just want to know what's going to happen in the story. I just want to get to the end of this hallway. I'm really like... <laughs> uh, it's one of the reasons why I stopped playing that game. Also because I got stuck. And I I played this at like a, a young enough age where getting stuck was still a thing that happened to yeah. me. So I just got stuck and I n- never came back to it. That unfortunately happened to me for uh, Kingdom Hearts. Mm. Got stuck on the very last boss. I've technically never beat the game. Oh, Oh, that reminds me, Kingdom Hearts. I, I kind of got stuck on that, 
So what happened to me in Kingdom Hearts, and this is a kind of embarrassing story for me, which is I got to the very last level, the... Uh, I can't remember what it's called, like the nowhere or the the world that doesn't yeah, exist or some like shit that. like that. Uh-huh. And uh, I beat the the Chernobog boss battle, which is the battle battle against you know the devil from Fantasia. Uh-huh. And uh, it offered me, would you like to save your game? And I said yes, I would. And I thought that that this is a good place to stop. This is a good exit point. So I stopped playing, and uh, I came back a week later. And uh, when I booted the game up, I didn't know this at the time, but immediately after that boss battle, it puts you in a kind of recreation of the first level of the game, you know, yes. Sunset Island uh, or something. Uh. And I got to that, and I thought to myself, my fucking younger brother <laughs> has played my fucking game when I wasn't here, and he has <laughs> saved over my save file. I'm going to fucking kill him. And I don't know if that actually happened or not. It is only like... 10 years after the fact that I see what they were doing that I went, oh, maybe, maybe that <laughs> maybe uh, I was a little rash. I, <laughs> hmm, perhaps, that, perhaps that was premature. Like maybe he did. Like he's done it before. He's done it enough yeah, times for my anger that he justified me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This wasn't... We're, we're all there. We're all older brothers always understand. <laughs> uh-huh. And and so now I realize I was like, what, maybe an hour away from finishing that game. And I never did. And it's like a, like, it took me like what fifty oh, hours yeah, it's a to get massive to the end of that game. <laughs> Even as a kid, you feel that game drags its fucking heels. Kingdom Hearts is one of, like probably the first like long RPGs yeah. that I had played. Yeah, definitely. That and Digimon World two thousand and three; those were the two ones. So you know, I've got Kingdom Hearts HD one point five remix about the fuck sitting across from me here. Uh, so I will get my closure at some point, and maybe. Maybe I will apologize to my younger. Nah, I'm not gonna apologize. Nah. It, it 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 is it is my lot as older brother to never admit any kind of yeah, fault. I mean, for... he would need incredible proof that he didn't mm-hmm. wipe the save. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, I've de- completely derailed your line it's of fight. It's fine. It's um, fine. The, the fights in uh, Final Fantasy are a fucking slog, mm. and I I know that this I know that this has been addressed because. Since I've been playing this, I've started playing. I'm about four hours in to Final Fantasy VII now, and uh-huh. uh, Ooh. it addresses everything I'm about to say. <laughs> mm. You seem to have skipped a couple, I see. Mm, yeah, because uh, <laughs> you know when when the when the chips are down here. I mean, if I were you, I would have skipped the four. Four was the. Is this the one with Cecil? Yes, it is the one with four. Four would have been to me the. The next step up, which is like you know, if if you if you can't stand the earliest iteration, go to the next step up, yeah, which would be that's still too brainwormy. And then a uh, six would be the one after. All right, that. well here's here's the thing, right? I've I've played about three hours of Final Fantasy VI before, and I mm-hmm. know that the gameplay didn't shift so dramatically from the first game to make me want to keep playing that yet. Okay. So. All in right. my logic, I'm thinking there's no way that they just bloated out the sixth one and the fourth one that, you know, was the was the sweet spot and the sixth one was that was a mess, uh, filled with all the bulk and and unnecessary battles that the the first one has. So let's let's go straight to seven. Let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see what people mm-hmm. call the well paced jump on game. And if it can win me over, then fuck it. I'll, I'll work my way backwards from there and I'll just face it that I, you know, 
at least then I will have beat one of these fucking things. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the looming pressure of the remake, I'm sure, did not factor into this decision whatsoever. Not so much, yeah. Not not so much as a pressure, but as a genuine want. That shit looks great. I mm, want I want in, <laughs> and I will not be left out in the cold for all this time. See, to me, that would be the the glowing light at the end of the tunnel. When I'm playing Final Fantasy 2 and I'm going, what the fuck am I doing? I'd be like, no, don't worry. It will all be worth it when you get to 7 Remake. Some, some of us don't have 20 years to get through a fucking tunnel. Mm. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the fights, the, there's two big problems with it in Final Fantasy 1. One is their frequency is insane. Yeah. They are just every couple of seconds. I looked at a long play today just to just to see graphical differences between versions. Jesus fucking Christ. Every, you can pick a point in the timeline of the YouTube video and you will nine times out of ten land in combat. <laughs> hmm. That's that's brutal. The, the second problem though, that's not that's not necessarily an awful thing. Frequency of, of combat isn't necessarily bad, but this part really makes it worse. It's that the fights often have more enemies than you have teammates. Meaning every fight takes at least two turns to clear. Uh, that drags them out unnecessarily. I mean, later in the game, you do get spells that can wipe them out, but you still have to spend time inputting moves for each of the members who aren't going to use the wipe all the enemy out spells. And it just, it's so time consuming. You're just trying to move from A to B, and it's its just, it's all over the place. Because by the time I got to the bosses in Final Fantasy 1, my characters were absolute fucking tanks. They didn't blink. I didn't grind at all. I just moved from A to B. My characters were buff. Fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, you didn't need to do a lot of grinding because the game took the choice away from you. That's what, <laughs> Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I mean, maybe you have to grind later when when the game gets real tough, or maybe mm. you just. I mean, you know, it's bad when it's just as difficult in the game to run as it, than it is to fight. Like you're you're talking about a margin of sev- like two seconds saved. I wonder what a speed run of FF1 looks like. Mm. I'm sure there's some skips. Oh yeah, Th- that's why I'm asking. Is I want to know how can I <laughs> how can I bypass a lot of this bullshit as possible. <laughs> Uh, I know now by playing a good portion of Final Fantasy VII that they have fixed this shit. This is why I'm I'm convinced that Final Fantasy VII is the jumping on point we were supposed to play. Because the fights are far less frequent. Like, you can go easily 20, 30 steps without triggering a fight in a, in a zone with, with enemies. That's pretty good. Uh, you know, fucking Pokemon's less generous than that. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. Also, the fights have been scaled down comparatively in terms of the number of enemies. Usually, you can get fights with like five enemies sometimes, but then it's made up a little bit with like all the limit breaks and stuff like that. The game gives you a lot more tools to deal with it right out the gate to uh, to 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 make combat a little more engrossing uh, each time you do it. But we shall see how that pans out in a later episode of Factor Man. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, by the time I got that first crystal, I basically had my fill. And I I was getting lost in the map. And, and here's where I, I've got to give some credit to the, the first Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest has all of the same problems as Final Fantasy. But it never felt like it. Does uh, Dragon Quest have no random encounters? It has a lot of random encounters. <laughs> it's like... Ah. If anything, it's in the overworld, it's more brutally frequent than Final Fantasy. But here's the thing. The enemy count are smaller, and the game map is more condensed and t- 
tightly designed and varied in terms of biomes and directions you can go that you always, A, feel like you're making massive strides in direction when you pick a direction. And the fights, they don't drag out monstrously long because you're not trying to kill a whole swath of enemies. You're you're often trying mm-hmm. to take down max, like, three things. The other thing is the enemies outside the area that you are currently supposed to be heading are absolute brutes. <laughs> they are monsters. And... In fairness, this sounds like it preempts grindy design because then you want mm-hmm. to, you're going to have to get grind, grind your way up every couple of steps just to be able to get to the next area. But in fairness, battles are so quick and so frequent that the grind doesn't feel that, you don't feel like you're being dragged into it. It just feels like that's part of what the game is right now. And once you mm-hmm. get over the hill in terms of beating the higher level enemies, your your experience and, and, and leveling up just zooms right to where it needs to be at that point. Uh, so you can basically hard-headed charge through the game as so long as you're willing to embrace the encounters as a portion of the game that you go like, okay, for the next while, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to kill a bunch of things and get stronger and then push through. It doesn't take that long every section, but it's something you actively have to do. Uh, and it therefore it feels more cohesive to the game, and it feels more like an action-packed adventure than something that's being that's getting in the way of of what the game actually is. So, uh, thumbs up to the first Dragon Quest. It was engrossing, and uh, it felt rewarding to grind. Or in Final Fantasy, it felt like I it just it was dragging me into it. But again, not to drag the game through the mud or anything. Uh, it's obviously very impressive for its day. I can see exactly why people get obsessed with this shit right out the gate. Uh, and I would have been among them if I were that age. <laughs> or somebody give me an, a NES uh, at the time that uh, I was playing Pokemon Yellow. That's pretty much the, that was the window. It's between Pokemon Yellow, the mm. next thing I, the next big game I played was like Crash Bandicoot. And that was when time was up. <laughs> So uh, your your running theme for games this week, which was games that were impressive in context, I suppose for this game means relative for its time, and with Raji, it's because it's an indie game? Uh, yeah, a little. Yeah, uh, impressive in that they were able to do with next to no money, and uh, a completely new team were able to assemble the game that could make a solid facsimile of the of the core components of the big boy games these days. That's impressive mm. to me. And in context, is impressive, despite the fact that I, I think a lot of people probably won't actively enjoy playing the game. <laughs> in mm-hmm. the same way that, you know, like you want to buy a game just to enjoy it. And, and that sort of... In the same way that one doesn't enjoy reading War and Peace, for instance. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Sounds familiar, but I'm not really sure what. I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going back undercover. I'm going dark again. I see. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping them secret. The me of the future will listen to this and he will giggle to himself <laughs> coyly. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> All right, the news. Now, are these guys called... I feel like I've got their name wrong. Kelly Entertainment? Is that really their name? 
Kelly. It is Clay Entertainment. I spelled it wrong. <laughs> Apologies. Clay Entertainment. K-L-E-I. K-L-E-I. Makers of Don't Starve, Invisible Ink. Oh. Mark yes. of the Ninja. Are now majorly owned by your friends and mine, the People's Republic of China. Marvelous. By that I made ten cent. This is a strange one because it's not a big studio. It's just a sort yeah. of not quite indie. I suppose double A. Yeah. You call them. They are a quite by the, by successful in their sphere. Like Don't Starve was a, was a, a, I assume a massive success because yeah, I've had I've had friends who aren't really into the indie scene recommended to me. Mm-hmm. And there's like ten versions of it. Yeah, yeah. So hard to miss as well. I do own a version of it. It was fine mm-hmm. i assume tencent are tapping them for some sweet mobile game down the line yeah that's probably it there uh, th- this is a talent acquisition not a property acquisition mm. unless don't starves has a don't starve has a massive chinese player base or something i suppose could be possible mm. maybe the the regional knockoff of don't starve you know <laughs> be hungry together yeah, or whatever work hard <laughs> that's just every game <laughs> now that I think about it don't starve together I think is an accurate summary of most of Chinese history really <laughs> that's the struggle uh, alright yeah that's the entire story like I don't have much to add to that there isn't really any details Chairman Mao presents don't starve together <laughs> <laughs> alright uh, uh I'll I'll take one here. Uh, Vicarious it. Visions. Yes, that's right. The the developers of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the re- the most recent remake, and the Crash Insane trilogy, have been assimilated into the larger Activision Blizzard Hive Flesh. That's right. As a as a as a reward for their 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 diligent good work performance. <laughs> yeah, they've been assimilated. Now, my personal speculation here is this could be so that they have some talent. To actually work on Overwatch Two, remember Overwatch Two, Lee? Yes. Yeah, we're about yeah we're about to hear about that in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned, listener, until I go on a rant about this shit when the when the when what I've heard is rumors it will be eventually announced. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I I think like the most the real knife twist here is that uh, have you seen Bobby Kotick's Twitter? I know, I know, I don't know why anyone would want to look at Bobby. Kotick's I have not Twitter, personally but... seen Bobby Kotick's Twitter. No. <laughs> uh, Bobby Kotick's most recent tweet is him congratulating Vicarious Visions on winning the best sporting slash racing game award for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two remake. <laughs> Good job, team. Now back to the mines with you. Now get into my mouth. <laughs> Oh, really got me. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, Bloomberg and Jason Schreier have reported that Vicarious Visions have actually been put to task on remaking Diablo 2, by the way. So just to quash that speculation, that's what okay. they're actually doing. Diablo 2, okay. Oh, well, I mean, I look forward to them. Th- that's a classic, so I look forward to them ruining it much <laughs> in the same way that they ruined, was it Warcraft 3 Reforged yeah. Edition? I assume they're bringing Vicarious Visions on because they've been quite good at the remake thing these last two games. Mm. Uh, I don't know why they didn't just give it to them and say, here you go. 
They had to go for the extra. I know why they, because they want the control. They they want the control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could, so they did. <laughs> well, rip. Yep, yep. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll be dragged. The, the dysenteric corpse will be dragged into the sunlight someday again. But they mm. probably, you know, will not have anywhere any of the remaining creative staff at that point. So. Who's to say? All right, what else we got? We got uh, the, 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 the Microsoft Gold Price fiasco. You seen this? I, I've never heard of this, so enlighten me. Uh, so Microsoft boldly, I think two days ago, as of day of recording, they, they strode out and said, hey guys, just to let you all know, we're uh, pumping up them gold prices straight up, not, not by a small increment. Let's put it that way. So... This is the gold membership is the one that gives you access to the, the is it the Xbox Games Pass or something like that? I don't know. Games Pass Games Pass is its own subscription. Mm, oh, so gold doesn't get you access to Games Pass, does no, it? No. Gold gets you access to online multiplayer. Same PlayStation Plus kind of stuff. Oh, that is perplexing because I I, I was thinking to myself, uh, this is a long time coming because, you know, the the Xbox Games Pass has really good value for money and i thought that they, they had been operating on a loss on that for a while now presumably to you know entice people mm-hmm. and to get people in and that a pay rise on it was or a price rise i should say was inevitable so i was thinking to myself well this is probably you know the other shrew dropping but you're telling me that this is completely unrelated yeah that is strange to hear that yeah well Strange to everyone, as it so happens. I should say, by the way, you're right about the inevitability of the Game Pass because it did get its price hike about a month or two ago. Uh, uh, yeah. So I didn't go report it because it, it's not my fucking job to report that, Microsoft. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yes, that did happen, as as one would have expected. It was good value of the money. It's still good value of the money, but it is slightly more expensive. Uh, full disclosure, listeners, Lee and I are PlayStation boys uh-huh. and Nintendo boys. We... Uh, w- we didn't really invest in the the Microsoft side of the ecosystem, besides <laughs> PC gaming, I suppose. But that's about it. Yeah, these days I'm slightly more of a free agent, but I've, I I still have not owned a Microsoft console. I have owned Game Pass on PC. I owned Halo Combat Evolved back in the day on PC, <laughs> on PC. and that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they hacked up these prices to the thunderous alarm of everybody online, and uh, such such was the alarm. That they undid it in a panic. <laughs> That's really strange. <laughs> they uh, they announced the prices. They put the the announcement on their Twitter and everything. And then the chiefs in in charge of Xbox these days had to basically come out and say, "We made a blunder, guys." People basically that came out and me... said, "There's there's no reason why Microsoft should be charging more for the base online use of their platform." Especially during a pandemic when people are struggling to make, make ends meet as it is. The, the, the One of the richest companies in the world are trying to squeeze and nickel and dime you just a little more for no discernible reason than to make more money. And uh, <laughs> they just got called out on it and then said, you're right, I guess. We, mm, we pushed I ahead suspect... and uh, we're undoing it for now. <laughs> Yes, uh, the Fernari is the the big thing here. I suspect that the the back down, the reason why they did it so easily, bad optics. This was, <laughs> well, this to me was a trial balloon, as they say, where uh, they'll float an idea, just the uh, the see how the public reacts to it. 
And uh, if it's a surmountable resistance, then they will surmount it and they'll stick with it. But if it's insurmountable, then they'll take it back. Uh-huh. That that was planned. Your outrage is factored into their calculations when they're making these decisions. And uh, if it had been just like, you know, 10% less outrage than they got, they would have stuck with it. Or maybe they're, they'll just think to themselves, there'll come a time where we will be able to get away with it and we'll do it then. That's what it is. Uh, uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, the Xbox Twitter account uh, quote says... Today was not great. We always try to do our best for you, and today we missed the mark. We hear you, and we're reversing our Xbox Live Gold pricing updates. <laughs> I know, right? Like, mm-hmm. Phrase like, we you're soft, fawy, fawy, sawy. We'll yeah. t- promise to be sneakier about it in the future. <laughs> At least a little more tactful when we milk you for all your worth. Uh, this coming in the, the same climate as... Games are too expensive to make, so we're hiking up the base price on the the games themselves, which is, I don't know, slightly more successful. I don't know how that's going. I, I never buy games at base price when yeah. they come out anyway. They so. can raise it all they want. It won't make a fucking difference to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listener, if you didn't know, I'm pretty sure the games industry is the most consumer-unfriendly industry that there is, yeah, probably. If you've listened to any of these episodes, you know that. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't know, besides, like, Nestle, I suppose, like, uh, water, yeah. that's that's pretty unfriendly. That's usually more labor-unfriendly, but I guess video games isn't too far behind on that either. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's not great. It's not great from any angle you look at it, to be honest. This is our hobby, folks. <laughs> Resident Evil Village. <laughs> yes, Resident Evil had a little showcase thing, right? Did you watch it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Capcom evidently got tired of waiting for Bloodborne 2, so they decided to make it themselves. <laughs> good. Good. Yes. Yes, good. Uh, first of all, let me get it out of the way. Ooh, a big mama tyrant. Homina, homina. But, uh, so... Uh, one of my favorite ones was uh, a Twitter box art that said, Rated S for Step on Me. Mmm. <laughs> She probably has some kind of gnarly monster form, but jokes on them. I'm into that shit. <laughs> they even gave her a name, but everyone's just sticking to a big vampire lady. Yeah, big, uh, yeah. A name, what is it? It's a Lady Dimitrescu yeah. or something like that. Dimitrescu. Yeah, yeah. Tall lady. Tall monster lady or something they called her. <laughs> I, did, I, didn't actively, I didn't actively watch any of this stuff, uh, except for my one small contribution to this, which was I did watch the... Uh, teaser trailer, I suppose you would call it, for Reefers, the uh, Resident Evil multiplayer game. Oh, is that not a... When Remake 2 came out, they made that, didn't yeah, they? They, they made three? Resistance, which was the oh, Remake 3 multiplayer component. Now they seem to have a solo uh, multiplayer game that is a crossover of all the All-Stars, Resident Evil All-Stars, and it's called Re... Colon verse reverse. I I saw I saw one screenshot of that, and it was a tweet where they were explaining how they needed to shrink the characters down to make enough space to move around, and it's kind of uh, you, you can it's not obvious, but you can tell from the size of the the room yeah, the environments they had to shrink them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that that trailer, man, that that game looks craptacular. Mm. <laughs> I didn't even look at it. All I saw was that one screenshot. I went, this isn't for me, so I ignored it. It looks like a very exciting game if this were 15 years ago and on the PlayStation 3. Mm, I, uh, most of my attention has been occupied by the village stuff, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. 
they released a demo called Maiden, and they teased another one for the spring. I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be called Mother or Crone because they're doing the whole witchcraft thing. Mm. Maiden, Mother, and Crone. That's the that's the the Wiccan trifecta or something like that. Looks good shit. I've got some Clancy Brown looking Bloodborne motherfucker. Could be the game's Lewis. <laughs> It's probably not Lewis. He might be a boss. He looks hostile, but he looks cool, though. Yeah, I, I specifically didn't watch it because I'm already hard sold mm-hmm. on this game. So I, every, every glimpse I see from this point onwards is a, a sheer spoiler. I already know yeah, I'm see, going to play it. I played 7 for this distinct see, reason. <laughs> Resident Evil stuff, I generally don't sweat that sort of thing very much because uh, they're not going to tell you any story stuff. It's just gonna. They're gonna show you some cool characters and features. Yeah, but monster monster design reveals of monster design mm-hmm. is exciting to me. I guess it's just that I know that if there was any real, real surprising stuff, that Capcom they've been in this business a long time. They know what to show and what not mm, to. It's fair. You know, they wouldn't show you stuff unless they knew that right behind it, like or just off camera, there was some real shit going on. You know, uh, I will That's say true. this: the return of the merchant. Not the same merchant, but a merchant, which I'm very happy to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the one thing. Well, there was a couple of things, but that was the most noticeable thing that was missing from five, in my opinion. There was no merchant. You simply bought things between levels on like a screen. Just wasn't the same, man. That game needed a Drebin or something like that. All most games need a Drebin. Mm. I don't know what to say about this new merchant. Uh, they haven't shown very much of him, other than he's fat and kind of posh and a bit camp, so that's cool. Sounds good. Uh, one very thing that is back that I'm very happy to see is the return of the attaché case. That is to say, Ooh. it is the return of the single greatest inventory system ever made. <laughs> now, you mean this in the sense that it's not just a, uh, an, a, a inventory management, but you actually get to move the weapons around to try and get them to fit into like yep absolutely it's got the grid and everything oh i do i do love that very happy to see that come back because like you know they know what this is they know it's a it's it's four it's like they're taking some good bits from four but giving it the the resident evil 7 treatment also they've augmented the existing uh you know the herb combination system they've sort of uh-huh. they've uh augmented that into an actual crafting system which in this game feels like it makes sense like, Feels uh, like they were they were they were baby stepping their way with that in in seven. It's a natural so, progression. Makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I've heard lots of speculation about uh about this game. Maybe it's spoilerific. I know it's probably just you know conjecture. Big vampire lady is almost certainly a tyrant. She looks like a tyrant. Just tall. Oh, indeed. She's got the the big clawed arm. She's got the pale skin. That looks like a tyrant to me. Also, <laughs> there's too much like fan crafting shit for me to bring up here, but uh, I like the idea that like, the reason why they don't like it when you call it Resident Evil 8 and insist on calling it Resident Evil Village is because even though it's got a V-I-I-I in it, it's because it's not Resident Evil 8, it's Resident Evil Revelations 3. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Is it? No. Well, I mean, it might be. They're not saying shit. I'm just going to assume it's eight for the time being. Okay. Because, because it's the sequel to seven, so it's eight. Come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, what what would Revelations free mean to anybody? Oh, the the story and the characters. Like Revelations has like uh, there's whole sorts of like, oh, is this person a clone of Wesker? Wesker had a sibling. Like the final boss uh, of Revelations right. two was like a clone sibling of Wesker. Or, or the game like that. lives up to its title by like dishing out lore revelations, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, is this 
a continuation of the Revelation storyline, that sort of thing. Or maybe it's where it's maybe it's where Revelations and the mainline series meet. It's where they finally reconcile. So it could be uh, Resident Evil Eight and Revelations Three. So they've done something very clever with the title with the the Rev Three and the the VII. Who can oh, say? I like I, I said, pure conjecture might be bullshit. <laughs> I thought it was neat. I just think it's neat. <laughs> Last news story I've got, uh, a dumb one, a stupid one, uh, and I, truly by the end of it, hopefully the last, I, for, the, for the foreseeable future, we will uh, talk about this fucking game, is uh, there's a, a new cyberpunk patch released today. <laughs> okay. And uh, fixes a bunch of bugs, introduces mm-hmm. a brand new game-breaking bug. Nice. Throws it in the mix. If you do a certain quest in a certain way, your the whole the whole game will just be fucking unplayable. It, like you can't, you'll not only not be able to finish the quest, but even if you started a whole different file, that quest would still be unbeatable. The go- the Polish government is watching closely. The Polish government <laughs> will remember that. <laughs> this, I suppose, should coincide with the uh, quiet tacit admission that I have re- stopped playing Cyberpunk for the meantime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fun, seems, fun that, for like a burst of of two days or so, and every time I've tried to get back to it since I've been like, uh, you know, I'm just gonna wait till they're done. That seems <laughs> like the smart thing to do. Uh, I mean, it's not going anywhere, and I've got other shit to play. So. Uh, imagine you come coming back to it in a year's time, and it's completely unrecognizable. That would be might, pretty exciting. Might even have to start like a new save file, <laughs> partially because you know they get all the new content that's there at the beginning of the game, and partially because I wouldn't be at all surprised if old save files would no longer be compatible with the version of the game that will be out by that point. Yeah, that that is a genuine concern. We've uh, we've we've introduced uh, so much new stuff that we had to pull from the game last minute mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, now you can't actively access half the quests in in the traditional manner. So we're just gonna have to. Just gonna have to start over if that's all right. I'm sure most of you beat it already in the first place. I mean, mm-hmm. most influencers. Uh, this comes with the sort of other news for Cyberpunk uh, that uh, it's done damn well for itself really? in being the our most successful digital launch of a game ever. That perhaps wouldn't be the word that I would use successful, but profitable, perhaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That is the word that needs to be kept in. <laughs> Particularly because it was pulled from one such digital platform. A big one, in fact, the Sony one. Yes. Uh, biggest digital game launch of all time. Biggest is the best word, I think. What is that, the... That neither te- implies success nor what's, financial liquidity. What's the time frame within that criteria was made? That's a good point. Uh, because if, the, if it was measured strictly between moments that game came out and before sony cut them off then yes i can suppose i can see that being the case uh yeah, no it's it's apparently for all of december uh and includes refunds which apparently was only a small proportion basically mm. unmentionable probably because most people don't actually pursue refunds with these things and also couldn't <laughs> yeah for a lot of them they couldn't <laughs> so uh 
Good job, Cyberpunk. I, 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 I look forward. I relish the idea that we can stop talking about you <laughs> for a while, a long while. Put her back in. She's not done yet. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh. Put her back in. She ain't done yet. <laughs> All right. I think that'll that'll do us. Unless yeah. you have anything to add. Nah, just to cap it off with a nice Rodney Dangerfield impression. Everyone knows who that guy is. That, that'll go in well with the kids. <laughs> Mom, you're always trying to give me potatoes. What is it with you? I just think they're neat. <laughs>